you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com events. LAist Studios. Growing up, I was a huge tomboy. Throughout middle school and most of high school, I wore oversized shirts and sweaters, dickies, skater shoes. I was a 5'2 Korean-American girl with a clear skater boy aesthetic. And I listened to music that matched. Like, the first two CDs I ever bought with my own money were Jimmy Eat World's Bleed American... And Weezer's Green Album. And that's how I wanted people to see me. As an MTV junkie who shopped at all the cool places, like PacSun, Vans, Volcom, you name it, I was shopping there. I wanted to be a rock aficionado, who wasn't just into the current stuff, but could also sing along to Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, and Cream. It was like I was always ready for a pop quiz on the history of American rock that just never happened. Which is so middle school, right? Prepping for imaginary tests on coolness that just never happened. And all of this is why, when I told my friends from back then that I was going to host a podcast about K-pop, this was their reaction. You know K-pop? Yeah, that was my response too. (laughs) I never knew you listened to (laughs) K-pop. I mean, in high school, you only listened to very emo music, Jimmy World, you know, all the other rock bands. It was rarely K-pop. This is Sarah and Randy. They're two of my closest friends who have known me since middle school. The three of us grew up in Koreatown, and a bunch of our memories involve, you know, hanging out at boba shops and going to our very Korean church, eating at Korean restaurants. Do you guys remember, like, hanging out in K-Town? That's the only memory I have. It was, like, going to church, going to boba, um, going to the mall, it was mostly uh, Randy driving by then. We didn't yeah. have enough money to do anything cool. <laughs> I Love Boba was the coolest thing we can do. In recent years, K-Town has been put on the map as a destination to visit. Korean food on lists of good food of Korea and nightlife and places you gotta see in L.A. You know, no. Wait, wait, what's that? But back when my friends and I were growing up in the 90s and 2000s, K-Town was not that. You know, K-Town felt like a place that nobody really knew about. Like, they'd always ask, where's that? So, if you're not familiar with Koreatown, it's this sprawling neighborhood in the middle of Los Angeles. There are Korean signs everywhere and tons of shops and restaurants. And when I was growing up, all the adults in K-Town were immigrants who only spoke Korean. And this is where I felt like I was different from the other kids in K-Town. Because my dad spoke perfect English. Because he had grown up in the U.S. And like all my friends from K-Town, their parents were nothing like him. And when I was in middle school, my dad wore his work uniform everywhere, which included a blue windbreaker that said in big yellow letters on the back, 
federal officer. I loved how when my dad dropped me off at the bus stop, because I got bussed out to school in the valley, all the other kids would go quiet and stare at his jacket, wondering if it was real, if this Korean man could really be a federal officer. And I think that's what I wanted to recreate, that feeling of awe and respect for someone who was so American. My dad was born in Korea, but he moved to a small town in Northern California with his family when he was in elementary school. And he had a super American upbringing. He played high school and college football and waved lighters at Pink Floyd concerts. He even served in the U.S. Army. Like, he was in the 101st Airborne Division that jumped out of helicopters during Operation Desert Storm. And after he left the Army, he came to L.A. and worked for the Federal Bureau of Prisons. I still don't know exactly what he did, but I do know he worked closely with U.S. Marshals. And in my mind, my dad was the epitome of cool. And everything he liked, I liked. Like baseball and old TV shows like Get Smart. I listened to whatever music my dad was listening to, like Jim Croce and Creedence Clearwater Revival. My mom immigrated from Korea while she was pregnant with me. But my parents separated when I was eight. And so I lived with my dad and grandma, which meant I was really only exposed to American culture at home. So when I was bussed out from Koreatown to the Valley, I related to the white kids at school who liked Green Day and watched King of the Hill. And when the Korean girls at home started talking about dramas they were watching, like this one, Winter Sonata, or their favorite K-pop groups like SES, I tuned out. But here's the thing my friends didn't know, that no one in my life knew. Something that I am admitting here on this podcast for the first time. I was secretly a K-pop fan. As much as I wanted everyone to believe that I was this super cool American MTV PacSun kid, when I was at home by myself with no one to impress, this is what I listened to. And this. And this. Fly to the Sky, SG Wannabe, G.O.D., all these Korean groups that I loved in secret. We'll be right back. Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do is check in, plug in, and go about your day. It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. 
this is clearly an NPR audience. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think they're so smart. Just, what the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. Okay, so I just shared my deepest, darkest secret. I used to listen to K-pop. I loved these old school K-pop groups so much. I used to play their songs over and over again in my CD player and belt out the soaring melodies. I even learned how to type in Korean so I could look up the lyrics, which used to only be available on Korean websites. I would print them out and memorize them so I could sing or rap along. Like this song by MC Mon called I Love You, Oh Thank You. I love you, oh thank you. No one knew I did this. I was actually so paranoid about the K-pop playlist I made in my iPod that I gave it a super American codename. And I was always ready to switch to another song on my iPod if anyone asked what I was listening to. Like a gunslinger, right? My hand is constantly hovering over the controls, fingers twitching, just ready to click on something cool like the strokes. Literally anything but K-pop. As I got older and my American music taste changed, my Korean music tastes changed too. So in college, when I was listening to bands like Young the Giant and Local Natives and Bright Eyes, I was also secretly listening to groups like Epic High, Girls' Generation, and Big Bang. And when I told this to my friends, I found out they had done the same thing. Here's Sarah. I think I got to a point in my life at that age where I was like kind of denying like K-pop and Korean culture, anything like related to Korean, just because trying to be more, more American. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They were also secret K-pop fans growing up. Probably not to the extent of like making fake playlist names on their iPods, but still, we all wanted to hide it. So why? For me, I don't think anyone actually made fun of me for listening to Korean music. Looking back, I'm pretty sure my shame was completely internalized. Because I thought if people knew I was listening to Korean music, then the carefully crafted American image I had made for myself would shatter. I also felt like my taste in music set me apart from the other Korean American kids at school. And that difference, that's what I wanted. That's what made me feel cool and special. The way that I saw it growing up, K-pop didn't have any currency outside of the Korean community. No one outside of it had ever heard of K-pop. Which makes sense when you think about how hard the music was to access back then. In the 90s, the only way my friends and I knew how to get Korean music was to buy CDs from the one music shop in Koreatown Plaza or rent VHS tapes from the Korean video store. Do you remember SES? Oh, uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I used to put pop in the VHS uh, for, like, Music Bank yeah. that you borrow oh, yeah. at the video store for, like, a dollar. Or video half. store. <laughs> <laughs> so compare that 
to how things are today. K-pop is everywhere. We'll be right back. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com slash sweeps. It's pretty much undeniable that K-pop has become a global phenomenon. In the U.S., four out of the 10 best-selling albums in 2021 were K-pop albums. Four out of 10. And two of those albums were by none other than... It's B-T-S! B-T-S. The biggest boy band in the world. The group has shattered music industry records left and right and has gone far beyond the category of K-pop. I mean, they spoke at the United Nations three times. They even have their own McDonald's meal. And K-pop is not limited to just BTS. There are hundreds of other groups that people love. K-pop has its own category at the VMAs, MTV's big music award show. And there are tons of collaborations between American and K-pop stars. Like this one with BTS and Coldplay. But this music that is now playing everywhere on TV and in shopping malls, it really was limited to Koreans and Korean Americans. So, what happened? How did this genre that I grew up hearing in my neighborhood become a full on global sensation? And what does this cultural shift mean for Korean-American kids like me? There is so much out there on the history of K-pop, but not enough about the role that Korean-Americans and Los Angeles have played in shaping the music. I'm Vivian Yoon, a Korean-American actress and writer from Los Angeles. And from Elliest Studios, this is K-pop Dreaming a show about how pop culture carries our shared history. In this show, I go on a journey to find out how K-pop got to where it is today. And K-pop's rise is an epic one, spanning continents and generations. I was like that token Asian guy in every hip-hop club and a bunch of dudes, and they're just, they're there to just battle. Without hip-hop, you would not have K-pop. You know, people were running into my dorm room saying, hey, Bro, your hometown is on fire. Okay. That's the song. That's the magic, man. I could see myself singing it in front of a thousand people. And one of her friends said, Your grandma watches K-pop? 
I've never seen so many Koreans in one spot in my life. Everywhere I look, everybody's Korean. Oh my God, are they here? Oh my God, I think they're coming out. And in learning about K-pop's history, I ended up filling in gaps in my own family history, hearing stories I had never heard before. Like from my grandmother, who grew up in Korea during the Japanese occupation. Or my mom, who told me about her time in a neighborhood in Seoul that would become a hotspot for early K-pop legends. The world has embraced K-pop in ways that young me could never have predicted. And it's had ripple effects on my life and career. Like, I've gotten opportunities because of the growing interest in Korean anything. Like right now, I'm pitching a TV show about Korean-Americans in Koreatown. Which I never would have thought anyone would be interested in. And looking back... It's kind of wild how I felt like I needed to hide my love of K-pop in the first place. So, I don't want to hide it anymore. I am saying it here, publicly, to the world. And I know I'm very late, but I love K-pop. And I always have. Next time on K-Pop Dreaming, I make you a mixtape. And we go through some of my favorite songs in K-Pop history to try and see how the genre has evolved from the 90s to now. K-Pop Dreaming is written and hosted by me, Vivian Yoon. The show is a production of Elias Studios. Shayna Naomi Krokmal is our Vice President of Podcasts. Antonia Serejido is the Executive Producer for Elias Studios. Catherine Mailhouse is the Director of Content Development. Fiona Ng is our Senior Producer and Show Creator. Our producers are James Chow, Minju Park, and me, Vivian Yoon. Sophia Paliza Carr is our editor. This episode is sound designed by James Chow. Korean research and translation help by Gloria O, oh, with fact checking by Fiona Ng. Parker McDaniels is our mix engineer. Taylor Kaufman is our director. Original music by Stephen Tran. Jens Campbell is our intern. Our website, elliest.com, is designed by Andy Cheatwood and the digital and marketing teams at Elias Studios. The marketing team at Elias Studios created our branding. Thanks to the team at Elias Studios, including Taylor Kaufman, Sabir Brara, Kristen Hayford, Kristen Muller, Andy Orozco, Michael Cosentino, and Leo G. Special thanks to Jacqueline Kim, Quincy Surasmith, Sarah Wan, Randy Lee, Topher Ruth, and the Berkeley Advanced Media Studios. K-Pop Dreaming is a production of Elias Studios. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.
LAist Studios. The Colorado River is running dry. Water may not reach millions of people. So if there's no water, there's no water for everybody. It's up to California's lead negotiator, a 28-year-old. This is a historic thing coming. And six other negotiators to find a solution. I want an agreement that lessens the pain for all of us, not just some of us. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts.